episode 738 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, September 17th. I'm your host, Paul Spore. And guess what? I'm by myself. And um, that has become a bit of a regular occurrence. I hope you guys are okay with it. Justin's not off the podcast. It's a scheduling situation. And, you know, I still want to do pods, of course. I do have some ideas of some people that I might be uh, potting with in the future on the days that Justin is not available. He and I will probably have a pod tomorrow. You know, I'm actually on, on GChat with him right now. I could just ask, are we potting tomorrow? And I get—I bet we'll get an answer to that soon. But what I'm talking about today is 10 interesting second halves. Um, poor second halves, if you will. They're not all, uh, I, I, I picked these players on purpose. Not every one of these was like, holy cow, these guys ruined my, my season in the second half. But they were all a good bit down from where they were in the first half. I will also point out, they weren't all first half superstars who then fell off. Uh, at least by the main measure that I used to gather the names, which was WRC+. I'll just get into it. You'll, you'll understand once uh, once I talk more about it. What we're going to do is go in uh, ascending order by WRC Plus in the second half and kind of dig in, figure out what's going on, if it's something to be concerned about going forward, if it's just, you know, a a bad half or what. Let's start with Elvis Andrews, who has a 40 WRC Plus in the second half. Now, I use that as a catch-all. It's weighted runs created plus that um, 100 is average. It, It neutralizes for context and environment. And I think that that's a good number to look at. It's not always perfect for somebody like an Andrews who is a speed guy. And that's why I didn't include some guys with lower marks like a Victor Robles or, um, oh man, there was another guy I was looking at who also had a speed component that, you know, he was like at 85 or whatever, but he stole 12, 15 bases in the second half. And it's like, well, that wasn't really a bad second half. But Andrews at 40, I'm sorry, unless he'd stolen a base like every time he got on, there's no way to spin that. His slash line for Elvis Andrews is 229, that's average, 272 OBP, and 295 slug. Let that sink in. That's horrible. A 255 BABIP is definitely playing a role, but that is just bad. Um, You can even give him a little bit of, uh, you know, leeway for a 5% homer to fly ball rate that should you know, at least be closer to the league average of 9-10%. But there's no way to spin this as a positive. It was an absolute nightmare second half for Elvis Andrews, who in the first half hit 304 with 21 stolen bases and eight homers. So you weren't getting a total dud there, and that happened to be in 81 games, which does allow us to do the super easy doubling up just to get an idea of the pace. Again, I use paces a lot of times just to frame things, not to say that they were going to do that, but just to just to give you an idea of how good they were. Now, if I just told you, I mean, some of you are probably better at mental math than I am. So maybe you're like, no, Paul, it's really easy because we're not stupid. But if I just told you that he had eight homers and 21 steals in 360 plate appearances, you might not be able to fully contextualize that. And you're like, well, you know, that, that sounds good, but, but just how good is it? Well, it was really good because, again, since it was 81 games for Andrus, you just double that up and that's 1642. That would have been a brilliant season. And you knew that he wasn't necessarily going to maintain that. A 342 BABIP was running a bit high for uh, Andrus and likely to come down. It did. It, it cratered. 
and and this is what we end up with. Now we're looking at a 10 homer, 28 stolen base season with a 272 average. All told, it's going to look fine. The makeup of it is just uh, underwhelming because of the split. And this matters a lot more for, say, head-to-head people because, you know, if you just buy a line in Roto and come October, you have a certain line that you're happy with and it is of the dollar value that you paid or or uh, or higher, great. That's that's excellent. But if it's, uh, you know, if, if it's head-to-head, you're dealing with all these dud weeks in the second half for Andrus. And so... I don't see anything that has that would give him an injury out. Um, he had a strained hamstring that he dealt with in May. Let me see if he missed any games to injury. Uh, no, and so that was really it. I don't know if that lingered, if that hamstring lingered and, and hurt Andrus a little bit in the second half, but it was a really rough go. With a 13% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate, those are in line with his normal metrics. I do wonder if there is just some bad luck to this where you're like, you know, everything kind of went wrong. Um, 255 Babbitt for somebody who can run a bit. You don't really expect that on a career mark of a three, uh, excuse me, of a 312. Uh, the homer to fly ball I mentioned, not that you're expecting homers out of him, but you get a little contribution. I think we might have just had a little bit of a bummer second half here for Andrus. And I wonder, you know, if it depresses his price a bit next year, maybe you jump in. I'm not as interested in the rabbits anymore, and he is he is a bit rabbity now. Rabbit back in the day used to be more of, of the Billy Hamilton type. Zero to three homers and 40-plus stolen bases. I think these days in this particular environment, it is more of like the, I don't know, 12 or fewer homers and 25-plus stolen bases. There are still some uh, full-on rabbits, like maybe like a Malik Smith. But I think at this point, you have to weigh how valuable the, the stolen bases are from Andrews when you're not getting your power when you need about 20 home runs per spot with him. Now, you can make that up with surplus elsewhere. You just have to average 20 homers per roster spot. So if you are getting 10, and that was in 136 games so far for Andrews. So if you're getting 12, 13, you're still getting... 30 steals, passable average. The the counting categories, the runs and ribbies weren't that great because the team wasn't that great. Maybe that isn't too bad. Um, I think all in all, uh, I'm not going to run away from Andrews, but I'm going to be looking at other shortstops a lot more. It's going to have to be a situation where his draft stock falls and then I jump in because, um, because I can put him at middle. Because I plan on having more of a premium shortstop. There are those... There's. Uh, the elite out front and it's a rel- relatively deep group and I'd rather jump in there now on the player Raider on uh, Rasball's player Raider. And I use theirs over our auction calculator for the podcast, especially because they put numbers next to theirs. And it's easy to just say that he was 15th that Andrus was among shortstops on the auction calculator. He's probably close to that, but then I have to count them because the, the rows aren't, aren't labeled. So let's see where Andrus went in the two early mocks. He was an average pick of 130. I don't think so. Uh, let me look at it among shortstops. I don't think I'm paying that, y'all. Uh, let's see here. He was at the 18th shortstop with Marcus Simeon just above him at 123, Nick Senzel at 113, a guy who's going to be on this list at 137 that I don't want to spoil, Ahmed Rosario at 140, 
Gene Segura, Paul DeYoung, Lourdes Gurriel, Gavin Lux, Scott Kingry. Scott Kingry at 163 versus um, Elvis Andrus at 130. I mean, it's Kingry 10 out of 10 times. I, I'm just, I, you can't uh, you can't get me on Elvis Andrus at that point. And then you've got way cheap. You've got Kevin Newman coming in at 243. Why wouldn't I just take Kevin Newman instead of Elvis Andrus? Maybe sacrifice some of the speed. Although maybe he runs more next year. I don't, you know, 15. Newman was 15 for 22 this year. Um, that's not, you know, an over the top pace if you if you expand it out from the 480 point appearances that he had this year into a full 600, 650 maybe if he goes top of the order uh, all year. But uh, well, it's 21. So if you take Newman's full season, 318 average, 14 homers. And a 21 steals, uh, if you pace it out for 162 games, he played 118 this year. Then I'm taking that a million times more at the price than Andrews. But even if it's not, let's say let's say that the 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 kind of peel back for Kevin Newman is to do what he did this year, but over a full season, meaning the the 10 homers and 15 steals come in 620 plate appearances. I would still take that. Well over a hundred picks, well, one hundred and ten, one hundred and ten picks later than Elvis Andrus. So I think the bottom line is, at the price, I'm just not taking Andrus. I just don't think he's necessarily worth it. Let's move over to Chris Davis, uh, Chris with a K. I think I mentioned this on a recent show, uh, or maybe in an article. I, I, I can't really be convinced that he's not nursing an injury of some sort throughout the bulk of the year, um, that has has really curbed his production. In fact, yeah, I think it, it was a pod. What what pod was that on? Maybe he shows, maybe it shows up in his player profile here since I would have tagged him. And, oh, it was the episode 735. Oh, the no, you know what it was? 734, the 2019 fall-offs in 2020. So go listen to that um, and check that part out. I, I bet I went into greater detail with Chris Davis. And frankly, I had an inkling that I had recently talked about him. But if I'd known that I delved that deeply on him, I wouldn't have included him here. I would have used that spot for somebody else. But uh, it's it's time stamped episode seven thirty four, uh, minute nine second nine forty five time mark. Go listen to that. I, I go deeper, and I think the bottom the bottom conclusion bottom line conclusion that I came to was that he's he was hurt, and he is finishing with a little bit of a flourish. Um, He's got three homers in the last seven games with a 996 OPS. I'd like to see that out of Chris Davis. Maybe he's feeling a bit better. Uh, he had a 56 WRC plus in the second half with six homers. And again, three of those have come in just the last week. So that tells you just how bad it was before that. And that's why I just can't be convinced that he wasn't playing through some injuries. Um, and namely, the things he's dealt with this year are hip repeatedly um, and oblique. And then a left hand injury on 628. That was a day to day thing. The hip is listed several times of, of causing him to miss games. I believe it uh, occurred when he played the field, which, you know, that's why he's a DH. But that that interleague comes in and you go to a, a visiting park and you want to get somebody like Chris Davis in the lineup. I get it from their standpoint, but this is what happened. Let me see. I think he's probably UT. I mean, of course, he's still UT only. He went pick 122 on average. So the leagues were were giving a discount. He was a top 100 pick coming into this year. I think even top 75. 
and the two early mocks were giving him giving a discount on Chris Davis about 50 picks. In fact, let me check my work on that as far as his ADP this year. I want to say it was around 75. If I'm getting a 50 pick discount or so, I'm taking that. I think that that's more than reasonable, especially if we get reports that that he's held. Oh, he was he was a top 50 pick. His ADP was 50 for Chris Davis. So he's going down at 120. That's a 70 pick discount. Oh, I'm taking that all the way because I think even even if spring turns around and say, oh, you know, he's healthy, he hits six spring homers and everything looks looking normal with Chris Davis, I don't know that he's going to skyrocket back up to 50. This was coming off of the uh, three straight 40 homer seasons, including leading baseball in 2018, the 400 straight 247 average seasons. So, yeah, I, I think that there's a real buying opportunity here. I know folks are, are nervous to fill in their UT spot, but, I mean, if you don't take Jordan Alvarez or Nelson Cruz at 33 and 83 respectively, get Chris Davis. Don't be afraid. I think that that's a fair price to, despite the uh, disastrous second half because I really do think that injury played a role. Uh, I'm going a little bit out of order as far as the ascending WRC Plus here to loop two catchers together, or lump two ca- catchers together, I should say. It's Christian Vasquez and James McCann. Now, these two are going to stick out like a sore thumb on the rest of this list in terms of pedigree and name value. Nobody expected anything from those two. So the seasons that they gave were huge boons. The reason I wanted to cover them was to to kind of show how much things fell off in the second half after fast starts. Vasquez had a 72 WRC plus in the second half. McCann had a 79. Now with Vasquez, he still has hit seven homers and, you know, with a 239 average, you're taking that at catcher. He's even chipped in two steals. That's really not the end of the world. The bottom line, I think, is 22 and four, 22 and three. The three steals, whatever, they're, they're incidental. But uh, 21 homers, excuse me, and a 273 average. Wait a minute. How's that work? Hang on. I might have messed up something because that I did. It was 15 and seven. That is 22. I'm not stupid, right? Oh, you know what? I did starting date 712 for one and start um, end date 712 for the other. I wonder if he hit a home run on the 12th. That would be interesting. Let me see. And he did. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That's why I was one heavy on Christian Vasquez's um, home run output there. <sighs> I don't think I'm really going to buy this next year. This feels like it's it's being aided by the ball. We didn't see any sort of massive power output from Vasquez that suggested that things were greatly different. Let me look at the batted ball profile. He's not really lifting the ball anymore, or even pulling it anymore. Tangible or no tangible differences there. Minor, minor pull and fly ball gains. The hard hit rate is up. But we're really only talking about like six points, which just isn't that much. And I would wonder, because Baseball Savant does their hard hit data a little bit differently than ours at the website, I want to see what theirs looks like real quick on Christian Vasquez here, catcher for the Red Sox. And they've got him at... They have a bigger jump. They have a 10-point jump from 29% to 39%. So there is a little something there. Um, the exit velo is up a tick. The barrel rate's gone from 2% to 6%. You know, that all helps. The launch angle's the same. I think the bottom line, though, is that 
if you're just wait if, if there's any sort of tax on Christian Vasquez and he'll cost more than he did last year, but I'm saying he as long as he's still free, so to speak, and goes well after pick like 300 in a two catcher league, then I can get behind it. I'm not gonna get too much on the ADP of the two early mocks because they're only one catcher league, and so um, we're not gonna get accurate data there for all the two catcher leagues out there. I'll tell you that it was 322 and he was the 17th catcher off the board. Which is which is fine, but um, I want to see where he goes in the two catcher leagues because that's really the only place I find Vasquez all that viable. As for James McCann, we all saw this one coming a mile away. I mean, he was toting a 408 BABIP through the first half, and that's why he was hitting 316 with nine homers. Did throw in four steals as well. You like that? Excellent stuff. He's down to 219 in the second half as the BABIP has evaporated to 288, but the strikeout rate more importantly, has soared to 32%, which is kind of surprising. I mean, he was at 26% in the first half, McCann was. He feels like a contact batting average type when you kind of watch him play or if you have a familiar profile of him. That's not really his makeup, though. He's a career 25% strikeout rate with 6% walks. You know, he's not that contact guy that... uh, that can really you know give you a little bit of empty average it's been an empty kind of everything this is a career year it was great 17 homers four steals 273 average i won't be anywhere near james mccann next year sorry james love your defense love james mccannon uh when he was when he was hosing folks out in detroit but uh i don't see a lot of fantasy viability for this going forward all right next up is nick senzel Got a 77 WRC plus in the second half. That was after a 98 in the first half. So, you know, he wasn't amazing in the first half, but it's a lot more acceptable than a 77. And that 77 also came with a 247 average. You got four homers and six steals. Is that really enough to be playing him when you're getting that kind of batting average? And a 303 OBP stifling his run scored. I don't know. That said, I'm actually fine with this. This is this is sometimes what you like to see out of somebody that you're really interested in for the following year. And uh, now he is out uh, with a torn labrum for the rest of the year. And that was as of uh, last week. Let me look up to see how long that's going. I, I don't know if that's, that seems like it might actually affect him next year. But before that, when it was, you know, when he was just kind of missing or when he was just kind of performing poorly and, and coming down, figuring out his, uh, his first season in the majors, I was all right with that. Let's see here. Met with Neil Elitrage. Uh, nothing yet on, on what that might do for next year with, with Nick Senzel. So that's a bummer. Got to keep a closer eye on that. And if I've, obviously if it becomes a major issue, then what I'm about to say will be will be null and void. But if everything does turn out all right and he's on track to start next year in the Reds lineup, then I want Nick Senzel shares for sure. He put up 12 homers, 14 steals in 414 plate appearances. You're looking at just about a 2020 full season there. Um, 20, 20 homers, 22 steals, actually 19 homers if with the pace on baseball reference. But if you were doing like a 650 plate appearance, It'd be 2022. But, um, yeah, I mean, you definitely got to like that. 
Big time prospect coming in, into the year. Now he's going to be outfield only. I think he had some middle infield, whether it was short or second, depending on where he was labeled at a website. I think he had some of that eligibility coming into this year, just because that's where he was kind of, uh, that was like the foundation rank for Senzel. And then he ended up becoming an outfielder. Now he's outfield only going forward. That's fine as like, um, you know, fourth, maybe third, it, it, probably third. Cause I think there will be some hype on Senzel, but let me see exactly where he was going. Nick Senzel. Oh yeah. Uh, more like a second outfielder. Holy smokes. He's going to pick 113. So there's plenty of hype on him. And uh, obviously, I think that will situate, the, the draft price will situate depending on what we learn with regards to this shoulder and the labrum situation. But um, I, I still like him. Now, he was going one one outfielder spot, which ended up being 10 picks after my guy Ramon Laureano. Um, you got Nick Jeff McNeil going 115, Aristides Aquino 118. David Dahl, 122. Health has always been a problem for him. You got three interesting power speed guys in Byron Buxton, Kyle Tucker, Oscar Mercado going between 137 and 142. I wonder if at the price, I wouldn't rather just have one of those three over Senzel. So given the price, I'm peeling back a little bit. I also like two of the big prospects that are going to go next year. Luis Robert and Joe Adele. I actually took Joe Adele in my two early mock. And they're going 158 and 165 respectively in these mocks. So maybe now that I see what the cost is. And unless there is an issue with the labrum, it's only going to go up from here. I think I'm going to peel back a little bit. I, I thought he might be a little bit cheaper. That, that was probably foolish. Uh, that was probably a pipe dream. That I thought that Senzel could be going cheaper. But yeah, 77 WRC plus in the second half, 26% strikeout rate. There are some flaws in the game, but you're paying for the power and speed combo. Eddie Rosario had just an 80 WRC plus in the second half. He did still uh he did still hit eleven homers. Eh, you know, not the end of the world. Eleven homers in fifty-two games. It's not something that you're loving, but well, actually that's a 30 homer pace. If you really think about it, yeah. Because most guys play, you know, the most guys usually plays about a buck fifty. Wait, so yeah, eleven homers is pretty darn good. Pardon me on that. But um, 259, 275, 448, never really walks much, 3%, but only 17% strikeout rate. So I don't see a major freakout. Now, he did hit 20 in the first 75 games of the year with a 282 average, 14% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate for Rosario. So everything was going well for him in that first half. He definitely peeled back in the second, but I don't even think that even at an 80% WRC plus, 20% lower than league average, it doesn't look to me like a major freakout. Um, it looks just like a crummy half. I mean, 50% O swing though. I would really like to see more patience. The The problem with Rosario, now he does make a lot of contact. If there was a strikeout issue here too, then I think that a large contingent of the fantasy community would be out on on Rosario because we know he doesn't walk. That's fine. But the batting average career, 279. He hit 288 and 290 the two years before this. You love all that. And this year it's going to be 31 homers. And if he needs one more RBI to go 100. So, you know, it's going to be a great season. I do worry about a potential cratering effect despite the strong contact rate. Because if it's a lot of bad contact, you know, okay, you can get to any ball, but do you want to get to a lot of the ones that you're getting to? And he doesn't walk to counter it. 
Hopefully the power sustains. He wasn't a bad power guy before the happy fun ball, 27 and 24 homers respectively the last two years for Rosario before this year's 31. I, I don't I don't hate him. Um, he's pick 75. I mean, he's firmly expensive. He now has three full strong seasons under his belt. And I think he's kind of a known commodity. I would be open to taking him. It's He's not someone I'm seeking out. But I, I don't run away if he happens to be the guy there. I will say, though, looking at the outfielders around Rosario, I tend to lean towards several of the other ones. You got Puig at 74, uh, Robles at 68, Austin Meadows at 71, then going a bit lower, Eloy Menez at 91, Marcelo Zuna at 91 as well. They both have a similar ADP there. <clears throat> Ozuna should be in a new place, or, or likely will be. I don't know that he's going to get re-signed with St. Louis. We'll see where, where that happens, uh, where he happens to land there. I don't know. For what, you know, you're not getting power and speed out of Rosario. It's really power and batting average kind of deal. Why wouldn't I maybe just sacrifice some of the batting average and take the immense, more locked-in power of Jorge Soler, who's going down at uh, pick 97? So 20 picks later a round and a half later, or my guy Max Kepler, his teammate, Rosario's teammate at, at pick 100. Nick Castellanos, uh, five doubles away from 60 in a new spot next year too, whether he's re-signs with the Cubs for the full year or um, or ends up uh, going elsewhere via free agency, but definitely going to be somewhere else. So yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think I'll end up with many Rosario shares, if any. He's fine. I, I don't think there's a major concern. I, I mentioned a potential cratering. I, I'll peel back on that. I don't think there's really a huge cratering potential. I just think he kind of is what he is. You pay for what you get there, and you're really kind of going to get something in that like 60 to 100 range of value. And if you draft somebody at 75 and they return 100 to 110 pick value, you're fine with that. All right, moving on uh, to Justin Smoke. Now, he... He wasn't very good all year, but it was the the skills were there to say that this could turn around. I remember recommending him a few different times, thinking that, hey, this has to turn around with the skills that he's showing. But he has a 85 WRC plus in the second half with just six homers. I mean, this is a 30 homer guy before you would have thought with this kind of ball that smoke could easily pop another 30. Uh, he hit 38 two years ago, 25 last year, and only 20 this year. It's just a bummer, man. Things just didn't work out. Now, in the first half, he only hit 217, but he had a 358 OBP. He was striking out almost as much as he was walking. It was 19% strikeouts, 16% walks. You're like, damn, there's a foundation here for Smoke to really explode if things start to go his way a little bit, even adding some batting average. Not that he would be a batting average asset, but that he wouldn't be such a such a drain. Just give me like a 250 with crazy power. Basically be a first base Jorge Soler down the stretch. And it never really came to fruition. And that's kind of weird. I don't really know why, because the skills continued to be sharp. You know, he, can, he continued to um, not really swing overly crazy. Take his walk, 17%. The strikeout rate did go up to 24%, but that's fine for a power hitter. But a 224 Babbitt. And, um, I mean, a 15% homer to fly ball rate for Smoke, that's above average, but it's not where you want a, a premium power hitter to be. You're hoping for more in that 20 to 25% range. So, 
I think he'll be an afterthought next year, absolutely free. And as like a corner util reserve type, I think I'd be in on it. He doesn't even have an ADP. On the data here uh, that Smata's done, I don't think he includes the auto picks. So the fact that Smoke went in two leagues but was autoed at pick 344 and 310, I mean, that tells you where he's going, though. And the simple fact is Smoke is going to be just dirt cheap. Now, is he a free agent? He is. So we'll have a new club. We'll have to assess you know, what his playing time looks like. But I might be in on, on Smoke. If they don't change the ball... I think he's 35 homers waiting to happen. Drink break. All right, I got three more guys. Now, these are these are some of the premium guys here. At least premium name. This next guy here, I think he was the one I mentioned uh, with Elvis Andrews at shortstop that I didn't want to say his name to give away that he was going to be on this list. That's Corey Seager. Now... I'll, I'll, I'll work backwards here. I'll tell you that he's going 137 in the mocks, but he went as high as 69, which is not nice. Whoever did that, that's not nice. You did a not nice thing uh, for yourself, not for the league. You helped the league, but uh, I don't like that. I, I don't, I, I don't think it's really here right now, or or not to a level where you need to be drafting Corey Seager in the top 100. Now, to the credit of all the other leagues. None of them took him earlier than 120. With a discount, I start to like Corey Seager a bit more, but I do worry that the name value will inch him up over the winter and into draft season back closer to that 100 pick. Hey, you know, we didn't really think about Corey Seager. He's only going to be 26. He makes a lot of contact. He's on the Dodgers. Nah, he's just solid. Just unspectacular, though. Second half, 245 average, 90 WRC plus, 292 OBP. Sub 300 on the OBP. Only eight homers. This just isn't it. And you start to look over the profile and you're like, hey, his next 80 RBI season will in fact be his first. It could be this year. He could get five ribbies in the next two weeks and, and eclipse the 80 mark. But 80 is not that good. And he has two 600... Uh, two 600-plus plate appearance seasons. So the injuries play some role there, but not not enough to fully excuse him. And yes, he bats higher, but okay, then look at the runs. He does have the 105 from 2016, but then 85, uh, a loss to 2018 where he only got 13, and then this year 74 because he has a 328 Babbitt. I don't know. I just, I can't pay, I can't pay a premium price. 137 on average, okay, you know, uh, these three drafts where he went 150, 171, and 174. Kudos to those folks getting Corey Seager at, at a legit price. I can get behind that because then I will bet. Uh, I will start to say all that fluffy stuff about a, he's 26, he's on a great team, he's shown some high contact potential. Maybe he taps into a next level of power, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't. I don't want all these ifs at pick 111. You know, let alone something within the top 100. Or even at pick 137, which is where the ADP is. That is influenced by the 69, but that wasn't an auto pick. Somebody thought he was worth that. And I do think there's going to be somebody in a lot of drafts that deems Seager an 80 to 110 range type of guy. Y'all can have him. This, this He's just not for me. Uh, not a bad player, but certainly not a great one. And really, the WRC Plus is is a tough story. 
I'll I'll acknowledge two of these are are one thirteen and one fifteen plate appearances, the first and fourth of his seasons. But it goes from one seventy five, one thirty six, one twenty eight, one oh seven, one oh five, straight down. With these last two years, uh, and really you should probably just squinch those two together. But it's about the same. So you're you're looking at like six hundred plus plate appearances of just over average for Corey Seager, and that just doesn't tell a great story. Next up is Reese Hoskins. Similar to Justin Smoke, but even at a higher level, I thought, I really thought Hoskins was going to have a power explosion in the second half, and I can't remember exactly who it was, and I apologize, but I believe there was somebody at PitcherList who wrote an article basically saying the opposite. They're like, nah, I'm, I'm not going for uh, Hoskins right now. I want to I want to pull back on the Hoskins hype, and, and they were right. Um, his second half has had a 92 WRC plus a 201 average. Now he is still walking a bunch, 16%. So he has a 337 OBP. We like that, but eight homers, a guy like Hoskins is somebody that was being tabbed. You know, you go, you go find some preseason articles of like bold predictions or, you know, pick a player that you like that has never hit 40 that could hit it, you know, stuff like that. That's Hoskins, man. People were definitely, projecting him to do some big things this year getting out of the outfield building on last year could he chase down 45 homers yeah oh my goodness he certainly could and I liked him in the in the preseason as well I didn't get him in a lot of leagues uh there are just other guys Muncie was somebody I just loved Muncie and Olsen were my guys but um I liked Hoskins and I really thought he was gonna have a big second half but 206 ISO is, is pretty paltry in this environment for a guy like Hoskins. He had a 267 in the first half and 20 homers. So I really thought he was going to build and and continue to go off. I mean, he had a 140 WRC plus. It wasn't quite at the just double it up range. He had 89 games in the first half for Hoskins. So you can't just say, oh, boom, 40. But hey, you know, whether he heats up, he gets going, you, you, you could have still seen the path to 40. And he's going to wind up with, uh, you know, about 30, 31, depending on how many hits here in the last uh, last two weeks. Barring a crazy hot streak, it's going to be lower than last year's 34. And just a disappointing second half for Hoskins. The market seems none too worried, though. They're still taking him in these mocks as a top 80 pick. Now, that is going to be a dip from last year. Well, last year was pick 40. So he's basically doubled his ADP from 40 to 80. So to, you know, we'll, we'll shorthand it and say from 40 to 80. Is that a good enough discount? Um, sure, I, I think it is. But I'll tell you what, my two guys, Muncie and Olsen, are both going later, and I'm sticking with them. Um, I even I, I don't hate this Carlos Santana breakout to have some sustainability too, and he goes 119 on average. You know, we'll see where Jose Abreu lands, and he's 106. So at the price, it, it, there can be there can be different things here. Um, you can say that it's not a bad price as is to say Reese Hoskins pick 80, but then in the context of everybody else, it's a price I don't want to pay because I want other players, and that's where I currently stand. I could see a scenario where I scoop a Hoskins share. Just to get in on on the on a potential surge next year, but nine out of ten times I'm looking elsewhere at first base, and I might even look at this next guy, our last guy here, who's actually more expensive, 
at pick 65. That's Josh Bell. Now, Josh Bell was otherworldly in the first half. A 154 WRC plus, 302 average, 376 OBP, and 648 slug. 27 homers, 69 very nice runs, and 84 ribs. He was amazing. And he hasn't been terrible in the second half, but it's a little bit wobbly. With a 101 WRC plus, a 233 average, 10 homers. Uh, again, pacing uh, to about 30 uh, if you were doing a full season deal here. 25 r- runs. 32 ribbies. Now, you pace those out uh, by three, you're looking at at 75 and 96. Far cry from what he was doing. Now, I want to say that his trajectory was excellent start, big low, and and was doing well here before he started to uh, deal with, I think, a groin issue. Let me see. Let me check my work on that. Yeah, that, that, that checks out here. So just to give you the trajectory by month of OPS, for Josh Bell, it's 955, 1238, 764, 769, 927, and then 803 so far in just 44 plate appearances in September. So I'm not worried. Um, that's just kind of a normal, you know, uh, the ups and downs of a season. You don't put up 12 homers in a 1238 OPS in May and be like, well, this is who he is. This is how he's going to be uh, the rest of the year. It's great when it's happening. But you know there's going to be some come down. And 229 and 222 BABIPs in June and July are what uh, really did him in because he was still hitting for f- perfectly fair power. Four and five homers in those months. I mean, that's fine. Um, you know, you're looking at, what, like a 30-homer, kind of a 30-homer pace there. Nine homers in two months. That's about 27, which is all right. Again, it's it's not what he was doing this year, and he has 37 but you're not uh, losing your league because of those two cool months from Josh Bell. And like I said, the market's got him at 65. They're paying the premium. I love Josh Bell. I don't think he's going to be a, a bust off of this year. Uh, I think, you know, the RBIs will pull back. I mean, stuff is messed up in Pittsburgh right now. And if you know the Felipe Vasquez story from today, it's it got exponentially worse. And they can fire him into the moon, uh, into the sun, because get out of here all the way but uh, things aren't great in Pittsburgh it didn't hurt him this year as far as driving in runs so they're gonna have a lot of the same guys so hopefully despite some of this turmoil uh, he can continue to succeed Josh Bell can with like a Marte a Brian Reynolds you know when you got Brian Reynolds at 385 Kevin Newman at a 364 uh, and Starling Marte at 342 at the top of the lineup you're able to drive in some guys there. So that works. And even Todd, I almost said Todd Frazier, Adam Frazier, who would bat at the top of the order sometimes, three 338, that's not too bad either. So I like Josh Bell. I, I'm not I'm not too worried about the, uh, the down second half because we did see the huge August, and it's been a fair September. We'll see what this groin situation does for the last two weeks. But if he ends with a you know flourish and has kind of an 850 LPS in September, I think people are going to analyze his full season and be like, nah, he's fine. Nothing to really worry about there. But I did want to highlight it because it was such a, a big difference from his first half. So just a quick review. We got Elvis Andrus, Chris Davis, Christian Vasquez, James McCann, Nick Senzel, Eddie Rosario, Justin Smoke, Corey Seager, Reese Hoskins, and Josh Bell. I'm, I'm pretty much out on Andrus. Uh, I, I like Davis. I'm probably out on both Vasquez and McCann. Maybe late C2 for Vasquez if he's just uber cheap. Senzel, got to get information on the torn labrum. And if it's not a problem, I'm in. Eddie Rosario, you kind of you get what you get, but I'm not, I'm not aggressively buying him. 
Justin Smoke, let's see where he lands, but he's dirt cheap. So if you want that uh, that corner util reserve pick that could possibly be somebody that you really use all year because he, he could slug 35 homers, that's Smoke. Seager, I'm out on. Reese Hoskins, I don't hate him at the price that he's had in the two early mocks, but I'm buying other first basemen instead. And Josh Bell, I'm still fully in on. Appreciate y'all listening. Back tomorrow with Justin. Justin.